Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people doing cool stuff in e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So I've decided to create a new series called Agency Side, Stories of Leaders Changing the Digital Landscape. It's a six-part weekly series where I sit down with agency owners and leaders to explore what it's like to build, grow, and navigate an agency through the complexities of a modern digital world. On the second episode, I sit down with Leisure Crest, CEO and founding partner of Sweden Unlimited, a digital-first creative agency specializing in branding, content, and e-commerce based in New York City. This is a pretty special episode as Leisure and I share a passion for 80s new wave and post-punk music. So it was a unique opportunity to sit down with her and learn how the band she formed with her husband and twin sister led to the creation of the agency, what they've learned in 20 years of operation, how to maintain relevance, building culture, and who would be in her ideal lineup for a show at CBGB's circa 1985. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Leisure, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Tim, I'm great. Thank you for asking. (laughs) I am, well, first of all, like I said, I'm great. Where am I? I'm in New York effing city. (laughs) Yes, the big apple. Um, So I'm just going to get straight into it. Sweden Unlimited has a well, what I would consider a a highly unique and interesting backstory. Can you talk me through how it all started? I would love to. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm being silly. Um, So uh, Sweden Unlimited um, was formed by myself and my husband, Richard, and my twin sister, Alex. Um, In the 90s, we were in here in New York, um, you know, hanging out in the music scene, um, fashion scene, and we decided to start a band. Um, we did not know what to name ourselves. So we asked some of our friends what which we name ourselves. All The one thing we wanted to make sure happened was that we wound up in the S section of the record store um, because all of our favorite bands were in the S section, um, Stereo Lab, Spiritualized, Basement yep. 3, The yep. Smiths. Yep. Need I say more? Yep. And um, so a friend of ours that just has a great way of saying things just looked at us and said, Sweden. And it kind of fit because my sister and I have long blonde hair and my husband kind of looks Swedish in a weird way, even though he's Dutch. Um, so in any case, that became our band. And we played in the late 90s, early 2000s around New York, made some records. And then when this thing called the internet started kind of tapping on our shoulders and we were like, oh, let's, let's take, let's take websites. <laughs> um, we needed a name. So we called ourselves Sweden Unlimited, just kind of as a joke. Um, Sweden, like, you know, we make music, we'll make you a website, we'll make you furniture. Basically, we would do anything to make money. So we, we basically just started this, you know, little group, the three of us. Um, and we just started getting a lot of checks written to us with the name Sweden Unlimited, which originally was a joke. Um, and we were like, okay, I guess this is real. So we never changed our name. Um, we have a lot of people um, think that we're Swedish. We've had many phone calls to our office um, thinking it was a Swedish consulate. And we um, <laughs> have to remind people that we are not Swedish. We are just Sweden. That's great. It's, it's such a good uh, start to, to, to any, any concept, um, let alone an agency. Um, and I, I love that idea where you're, uh, the, the, the infinity concept, like, yeah, we'll, we'll do anything, you know? Yeah. Sweden unlimited. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll build your furniture. Um, so I, 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 I believe this is your, your, your 20th anniversary this year. Um, so I, I'm keen to understand like, wh- where are you at now? And, and, I, I appreciate lots changed in that time, but what, what do you think has changed most within that time period? 
Oh, that's a really good question. Um, God, so much. <laughs> um, I'd say probably the sort of commoditization of what we do has to be the most obvious thing. So we're, if you think back 20 years, we had people that needed us to help them set up their email address or how do I save, how do I compress a JPEG or, mm. you know what I mean? Like it, 20 years ago, really, the, especially with the people that we were working with, which was a lot of fashion, um, you know, companies, like very young companies, they, people just thought, oh, it's a computer. It's weird. It's, it's geeky. I'm not going to touch it. So we were really like everything to everybody, which was kind of nice in a way. We were, we were just, our phone was constantly ringing and we were um, really collaborative with our clients. I think especially in the last five years with even, you know, things like Shopify or Squarespace, just what we did in the early days has become so commoditized that the things that people need agencies for is, is a little bit different. And, and that's great. I mean, it's nice not being called for helping someone with an email password, <laughs> but um, you do have to keep pivoting and finding, okay, something is a commodity, but what do I add to it? What can I offer that's something that uh, is still needed by a client? So we've definitely picked up more with strategy, with like real UX thinking. And we know that the, the basic things that can be accomplished by some of these um, platforms just isn't needed as much from an agency. So would you say, so if we were to take the, the, the other perspective, what do you think has stayed the same in that time? And I, I'm getting a sense that the, like the relationship and the kind of the things beyond the technology and the commodity have become more relevant now. W would you Definitely. agree with that? I mean, yeah, I mean, people still, a client still need agencies more than ever. I know a lot of people are talking about in-housing and that like, I feel like every other year it's some other big emergency that everyone's talking about, <laughs> but there's always things that brands cannot do. Um, a lot of the time it's just thinking uh, a lot when you're in a bubble of a brand, like even if you have like a, a huge in-house agency, you still need to go out um, and get some creative ideas, some, some thinking around, you know, new technologies or new platforms that you just aren't always able to get in-house. So we're as busy as ever. It's just more with different things. Um, we also have always made sure to pivot and offer things that we see our clients need. So the last five years, we've been focusing a lot on content creation because that was something that people didn't need as much. Like 15 years ago, it was kind of like, here's our logo, here's a lookbook, go make something out of this. Yep. But now, you know, brands really have this need to keep their content fresh. They have social media, they have their website. So, you know, we saw that opening and we started doing that. Um, so it, it's just about pivoting and just staying relevant. So that's an interesting concept. How do you manage that? Are you, are you on the look for the next innovation or pivot? Or is it that it kind of organically um, presents itself and you're like, okay, we need to be doing this now? Or is it like a combination of both? It's definitely a combination of both. I mean, it's funny, my husband, Richard, who's our chief creative officer, he actually always is the person that kind of hears about technology <laughs> um, before any of us. So it was his idea, you know, years ago, we were doing a lot of like PHP custom e-commerce builds like back in the day before, you know, there was really a great platform. Um, and then he's like, oh, I've heard about this thing called Magento. You should look into it. Yeah. And, and then it took us, you know, like a couple of years to get really there. And then same thing with Shopify. Like, why are we still doing Magento? You should be looking at Shopify. So we're constantly um, listening to podcasts, reading, and just talking to people. Um, that being said, we also are sometimes late to the game, for sure. We, you know, we get kind of, because we've been around for so long, you kind of get used to doing things a certain way and it's a little harder to change, but um, because we've remained small, you know, we are eventually always able to pivot very quickly. So you mentioned an interesting word and one that I, I, I like the concept of, and that, that's relevance. And for the listeners to this podcast, uh, 
they're going to see a theme here that you and I discussed before music, <laughs> because we're, yeah. we're both into very similar music, which is something that I, I, I get a great sense of, of joy out of. So I feel that uh, Bowie and Iggy, for that matter, are two good examples of artists who maintained long lives of creative relevance. Um, and I suppose taking on from what we've just described or, or discussed there, like, do you think the same exists for agencies and, and, and like, how do you think agencies can remain relevant? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, certain things can definitely come up and, and sneak up behind you, but um, you, you absolutely have to keep looking and seeing what, what is out there. So I've definitely seen a lot of agencies come and go over these last 20 years because they didn't pivot fast enough, you know, and, 20 years ago, this time 20 years ago, we were making all flash websites. We were making animation, like, you know, like cool virtual girls and, and balls bounce and text flying all over the place. And, you know, when we saw things, it was actually funny. We were starting to work with the Olsen twins. I don't know if you. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Full house. Of course. I know who the Olsen yeah. twins are. Yeah. yeah but we, were doing a, we were doing a job for them. They have a, a beautiful brand called The Row and we were building um, their first e-commerce site in, in Flash because that was what we did. And that's what everyone came to us for. And I always remember they got an early version of the first um, iPad. And one of them, I think it was Ashley was trying to pull up the site on her iPad and it wasn't working because it was flash, but no one knew yet because only she had the iPad. And we said, oh, it's not gonna work, sorry. And she's like, well, let's just call Apple and tell them to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of things where, oh my gosh, everything that we've focused on the last few years is basically thrown out the door because of a new technology coming on the scene. and. Um, you have to pivot. I saw a lot of agencies kind of fizzle away because they never adapted to um, to a different you know type of working. Um, so you're just constantly adapting. And I think as long as you kind of stay true to what it like the whole reason you started doing it and what your values are, then it all those other things are kind of easy to change. Um, that's just a platform. Like mean, that's, that's why we never like to be too attached to one platform or one technology or one type of client, because at some point, one of those things will let you down <laughs> <laughs> and you have to pivot. So hopefully not at the same time. I mean, I've yeah. seen it. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, really sage advice. I think that concept is, is really quite, um, uh, refreshing where you 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 maintain the core of what you do and then everything else yeah i think it it, it it it's very much in line with the commoditization of technology and the barriers of entry to technology just lowering and lowering and lowering and the core of certainly the agency model being a consistent uh entity throughout that kind of lifespan and if you can maintain that then yeah like the technology can change the clients can change but you can continue on. So, I mean, that brings me to a, another interesting part. And it's something I, I think that whenever I speak to anyone about uh, who, who's in the agency world, it's always a big thing and that's culture, right? And like, how do you, <laughs> how do you build, nurture, maintain culture? And, and I thought that your cultural values of which they are grit, positivity, humility, growth mindset, collaboration, accountability, and style were very, very interesting. So why do you think cultural values are important and, and how, how do you guys use them in your agency? Yeah, so we're Gen X, super cynical New Yorkers. <laughs> when I think it was like in the early 2000s um, when every agency started having their mission statement on the homepage. I mean, we seriously used to laugh and just make fun of it. And because it was like, give me a break. It was like they were... You know, curing cancer or something when they're just yeah. making yeah, sight. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah. But in any case, it we we were doing this thing called EOS um, a couple of years ago called entrepreneurial. Oh yeah, EOS model. Yeah, we use that so, internally. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this guy was, who's just an amazing um, agency leader who you should really interview. His name is Peter Kang from Barrel. Um, we've always remained really friendly. We admire each other's agencies. And he actually told me about it. And he's like, you got to do it. It changed, changed our lives. So we did it. And 
I don't know if I would go that far that it, you know, it definitely isn't the perfect system for agencies in my mind, but it did definitely um, teach us what culture really is. And it's not, of course, how beautiful your office is. And ours always is really beautiful. Um, And, you know, I think we hid behind that a lot of the times or like we surround ourselves with cool art and everything. My husband, Richard, is is very style obsessed. So, and he's a great interior designer. So we've always really cared a lot by, about how things look. And yep. actually, my sister and I, our mother was an interior designer. So visually, we're, we're obsessed with anything visual. Let's just put it that way. But, you know, the you know, the happy hour and all those, the cool office is not culture. That's just sort of, you know, the background, what culture is, is the people and what their values are. And what we did was a really interesting exercise with EOS was pick one or two people in your agency or company who really are exactly spot on to what you like to you, the the perfect employee, what, what values do they embody so that was the first time that we ever we knew exactly there were two people that were with us um, and are still with us and we thought oh what are their values and we wrote we wrote them down and we you know all had different we had a lot of different things and then we narrowed it down and we realized that though the the things that we're looking for in people are not you know, how many years they have working at an agency or how talented they are as, as designers. It actually is how they go about their day every day. Yep. And if someone doesn't bring, and I look back at a lot of people that we've had in and out of the agency and I measure ones that, that really just didn't work out um, on, you know, for us and for them. I measure them against these values that we came up and then I realize why it didn't work. So, they became just sort of our um, our Bible for hiring. And yep. sometimes it is really hard to not to realize these values until you've worked with the person a little bit. So it's not foolproof <laughs> by any means, but I think the big ones, the grits, um, humility, growth mindset and collaboration, I would say those are the ones that um, are the most important to us. And they're basically why we're still in business after 20 years, I would say. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I think you're right. I think it's it, you can have the pillars there, and particularly in the interview process, it's it's difficult, right? Because you can you can express what the, the the cultural values are to the you know the candidate, and you can kind of test for it. But until it's in the wild, right? Until they're there, you you don't really know, right? So, but 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 I I I I'm always a big firm believer, and I I, I do a bit of kind of like. Uh, commentary i suppose mainly on linkedin when i see people talking about hiring and i think that's my number one advice to anyone is like if if you don't have any sort of pillar or cultural foundation when you're hiring then how do you hire people because you're gonna you know uh, how do you get the right people in you know and and i think it is it it is a great um stepping stone to to getting really good talent um and and you know what here's an interesting one i i i um have found this works quite well sometimes whenever I'm doing interview, this is pre COVID world. So I don't know, it's probably gonna have to change, <laughs> but I, I always like to take <laughs> candid. I, once I got down to the final stages, right. You know, you interview people and then you've got maybe like two really strong front runners and you can't really tell the difference between yep. them. I liked to take them into the wild. So I would go and have a coffee with them or maybe have lunch with them and like see how they interacted with like other people or yeah. how they interacted with uh, like situations that arise. And a really good example was for some of the, uh, in my kind of growth team, the salespeople, I, I went uh, for one interview with somebody, a coffee, and it was taking ages for our coffees to arrive. And we were just, you know, shooting the breeze, you know, chatting away. And and then this person was like, uh-huh. oh, our coffees haven't arrived. I'm going to go and sort that out. And they went and got the coffee. And I was like, yes, this is the sort of person I want. Wow. You're incredibly assertive. You know, you're probably going to be really good in a in a pitch. Um, so, yeah, I've I've great. found that that's worked very well. That's great. I got to try that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maybe later this year or next year. <laughs> yeah, the new in in a new world of some description is hard to yeah. hard to. Maybe you could have a Zoom meeting in the cafe. I don't know. There's going to be some exactly. sort of virtual way. <laughs> I, I'm keen to talk a little bit more about kind of the 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 team. So. Uh, uh, 
at the moment, what does the team kind of look like? And I suppose I'm keen to understand how you work, um, you know, with your sister and your husband in, in the business. Like, how does it work? What roles do you assume? And, and, and what do you guys find works well? And what do you find challenging? Yeah, so the the three of us, you know, it's funny, I was thinking a little bit about this before um, we started chatting um, about, you know, the three of us started as a band, and each playing different instrument, you know, I was playing keyboards, <laughs> Alex played fuzz guitar, and, um, and Alex is my sister, if I didn't mention, and um, Richard um, played this like really cool digital guitar um, with nylon strings. It was like Casio, super 80s, super <laughs> easy sounding, and it had a built-in drum machine, which was just perfect. <laughs> since we awesome. have a drummer. So it was, it was a really cool sound altogether they, this, the instruments just created this weird sound that was like so hard to explain. Um, my sister and I, I think it, we had this sort of vision in our minds of like when the fuzz guitar mixes just perfectly with the synths and it creates this kind of like buzzing sound. And we were just, when we, we would get to it, we would just look at each other and know that that was it. And then like when, what became so hard was like, when we were mixing, we were always like her husband actually would mix us a lot. And also another friend of ours. And we would just be turning the faders, like, you know, tuning, like no, a little bit more fuzz, no, a yep, little bit. Yep. It. it just would drive us crazy. <laughs> then, but then once we, once we found it, it was like, oh, yes. And I was thinking about how that's so much like our company now. And it's been like that for 20 years. We each kind of do something different. So Alex is our chief client officer. And she, it's funny, she, we call her that, but we're noticing lately that's maybe not the right title for her because she's really just all about delivery. Yep. She just makes sure our clients get their shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah listens she knows exactly what they asked for she's like the client in the room basically um because you know how it is working at an agency sometimes it's hard when you all go back to your you know your cube <laughs> and talk about what the agency wanted sorry what the client wanted and everyone kind of heard something different so yep. he's sort of like our client listener we call her yep. and then richard's the creative you know he he's just a he's a former artist he's just the the creative he's so creative that you know he's sort of responsible for the way everything looks yep. from our you know office to our business cards to everything yep. and then i'm more of the, the business person um i kind of make sure that there's new work coming in and you know just build relationships i interview people i kind of do everything else in between and i was thinking about that as you compare it to mixing music this is going to sound like super crazy but you know, like an engineer is tuning, is like sort of sliding the faders and, and when they're recording the drum, they might hear a little bit of fuzz guitar in the background. You know what I mean? Like yep, from yep. a little bit of bleed from one of the other mics or whatever. Yep, bit of bleed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that bleed, some people will go crazy like, oh, got to get rid of that bleed. It's not, it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there. But I was thinking that bleed is actually what I think my sister and I, and, and Richard to an extent, actually loved and i think that's what maybe what makes music have that kind of special um reverby great sound is when things are bleeding into other lanes that they're not supposed to be in and and i think about that with our agency the three of us i know it drives a lot of our team crazy but alex gives a lot of comments on creative richard gives a lot of comments on process I'll, you know, give comments on everything, <laughs> but it's like we each each other's lanes. Yeah. But we, without taking over the whole lane, we but we we have so much to offer, and it's crazy to me to think that Richard should be the only one giving feedback on creative when Alex has twenty years of working with clients and, and hears things that maybe someone else didn't hear and has has a, a, a excellent um, point of view to bring. So I think it is about that, like everyone has their own lane or their own track, <laughs> if you want to talk about music. Yep, yep. But there can be a little bit of bleed over into the other ones. And I think that's what's going to make the, the final mix sound so special and unique. And did you... 
when you started was was that was it the same or have you if you kind of developed into your to your tracks as you kind of put it um or were you yeah. guys like chopping in changing before like swapping instruments as you were if you were in the band yeah. right at, towards at, at the start oh my gosh the first five years it was just the three of us doing everything so we we were each everything <laughs> we were all salespeople, project managers designers flash animators um, I did a lot of the coding in the early days, the first five years. Richard would, you know, design a few pages of a site and then I would kind of design the rest just through HTML. Like we we had this like sort of way of working that we didn't need so much process. Um, process, we love it. And it's necessary when you start bringing um, to people on because the we learned the hard way. <laughs> in the early days, we would hide when we first were growing and we were hiring people we were so confused why they just didn't do things the same way we did it. And we were so naive, <laughs> but we had never worked at a real company before. We were all, you know, doing crazy things in New York. Like my sister and I were modeling and we were photographers and Richard was like running errands and, and working for artists. And we'd never worked at a company. So all of a sudden we realized when you hire people, you mean you have to train them? <laughs> like, we give people. them targets and like, yeah 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 i'm not kidding it was like eye-opening we just we thought everyone was just like us we thought oh no they'll just figure it out the way we did um and we realized they people don't not everyone does and most people need to know the way we want things done or the way that sweden does things so we've we definitely learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, so yeah, but in the early days, there was no process. It was just, we we sort of had a rhythm between the three of us and we each did a little bit of everything. So I'm keen to talk a little bit about the kind of clients and stuff that you've worked with. So the first question is, do you remember the first client and what, what did you, what was the feeling when you got that kind of, I, I don't want to totally, um, uh, pull it into a commercial sense but like you know the first not necessarily paycheck but you'd done it and it was like wow we've done the first one what was your feeling around that time yeah so i i'm pretty sure it was this company called built by wendy which was i, I think anyone listening here from new york will know it was the really coolest um women's wear brand in the 90s and she'd made custom guitar straps that's what she was really known for and she made them for all the coolest bands like Sonic Youth. And um, basically you could send in like any kind of artwork and um, she would take it and laminate it and sort of build it into a guitar. Oh, wow. strap. I know it sounds so like, like you could probably get that at Urban Outfitters now, but back then it was seriously the coolest thing ever. And you just couldn't get the same kind of stuff that you can get now. You know what I'm saying? Like at the time, no one else did that. So she was a friend of ours. And, um, you know, Richard basically had quit his job. He was like an errand boy at a, at a, a like a sort of mural company. Like they made murals. <laughs> and he basically was like at shopping for supplies all day. That was his job. And he was like, F this, I'm going to make websites. And so he quit and, um, took my bootlegged copy of Photoshop and learned how to design completely self-taught. Yeah. And he, we just knew a lot of people in fashion and music. So he started, of course, that was before we all had email. So he started calling everyone. And every time we would go out to, you know, concert or, you know, a bar, he'd be like, Hey, need a website. Anyone need a website? I make websites. And I know you guys are, we make websites. Yeah. We always, <laughs> we used to always say hey we make websites but this was like this was actually like what we said um in the 90s to people or it's, by now it's maybe the early 2000s by the time we formed sweden unlimited but um and she was like hey yeah i can sell my guitar straps um so that was the the very first site that we did and I was working as a controller um believe it or not like that's like a finance person at oh um, yeah 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 my brother had uh, an ISP was one of the first. Do you even know what an ISP is? Uh, like back in like, the nineties, like an internet a, service internet provider. Yeah, 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 yeah. Provider. So <laughs> my sister's husband had and his friends formed one when they were like twenty four, and it was called Space Lab. 
<laughs> it was 20 guys and me. I was the only girl. I loved it. And I was like the, the bookkeeper, basically. But yep, yep. They, called, they called me the controller just to make me feel uh, more grown up. Yep. And I, I was like, I want to do this with you. So I quit and then joined Richard. I taught myself HTML using this program called Dreamweaver. Um, which I don't even know if that's still around, but it was Macromedia, um, Dreamweaver, and and we learned we taught ourselves Flash, and then Richard's like, okay, good, we have an agency now. We we have our first client built by Wendy, and um, he wanted to call us Agarbeek and Associates because he his last name is Agarbeek, and I yep. was like, okay, um, Sweden Unlimited, because I was just like, I'm not an associate. Yeah, but, I'm going to say the former <laughs> sounds a bit too much like an accounting agency. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that became our first client. And then, oh my gosh, we worked for her for years. We're still in touch with her. After that, um, we just became the go-to studio for any kind of small designer that needed um, a website. And then uh, there were so few agencies at the time that you you didn't go to a bunch of agencies with an RFP and line up proposals next to them and pick, you know, it was just like you came to us. You either went to us or this like really expensive ripoff agency called Create the Group. And they were kind of like the evil version of us. <laughs> Like everything was like flash and faded and like great, lots of gradients and oh wow, like cheesy. And we were like the cool, you know, downtown kind of cool agency you went to if you didn't have like a hundred thousand dollars to spend. Yeah, yeah. And then and then we slowly started getting like not just smaller brands, but like bigger and bigger brands, you know, like Diane von Furstenberg became a client. Like we started doing work with v magazine and visionaire and they became you know they were very prestigious at the times um so then we eventually we did like got everyone from michael kors to kate spade to coach to um w magazine so then we started kind of you know working with the bigger and bigger clients and then that's when we really started to kind of grow and and hire more people because we couldn't possibly do it all ourselves yeah. so i feel that you've you've got a pretty good list that you've just <laughs> talked about there. Is there anyone else on the list that you'd want to work with um, like now? Like who, who would be kind of client or group of people or person or creative that you, you would want to work with at, at, at this point in time in, you know, 2020 and beyond? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's funny because I was thinking about the fact that my favorite brands as an individual are not necessarily the brands that I would want to work with or that I think even need us. If that even, I mean, that probably sounds a little crazy, but like as an individual, I love Acne. I love Margella, yep. Yep. Common Projects. Like that's my thing. That's how I look. That's how I dress. Um, those are the brands like I, you know, I don't even necessarily buy those brands on their website. It's just weird. Like I'll, you know, maybe buy them at Net-A-Porter or Farfetch or something like that. But the brands that we actually enjoy working with aren't necessarily the brands that are like personal favorites. Um, we recently did a project with, um, the, um, James Beard Foundation, where it was, building a site that was helping um, people kind of start up um, their business again after mm -hmm. being hit, you know, from the pandemic and, uh, you know, aimed at restaurants. And while that's so not really a typical client of ours, it felt good to, that our team felt that we're able to feel like they were really doing something to make a difference. And it was kind of nice, not just working with another fashion brand or another beauty brand. So, I get the most excited when it's a brand that really needs our help. Like, I think that if, um, you know, Gucci or Glossier called us, I would be shocked because I don't think they really need us. And I'm <laughs> sure there's a lot of people that have worked for us over the years that would have liked to have worked with those brands or maybe yep. thought we were going to get to work with brands like that when they came to work for us. But they... They know what they're doing. They're doing a great job. Why in the world do you need us? So it's so much fun to, to work with a brand that 
is struggling or needs to be reinvented or is going to really appreciate what we could bring. Um, I've found that those are the funnest projects to work on, the ones that are sort of undergoing um, a sort of transformation. I hate saying digital transformation. That sounds so funny. But, so corporate. Um, but no, I, I get it. But that there is an element to that, right? I think that they're, they're going through a change and they need someone that can like help guide them you know, through exactly. that Exactly. I know that certain, a lot of the younger people that have worked with us over the years don't necessarily love those clients. Those are the clients that I think my, I've heard my team say, oh, they don't know what they want or they are, they're so like convoluted or their process is so bureaucratic or there's, you know, they, it's very easy to make fun of those clients or um, not it sort of reject those clients. And I know a lot of agencies do reject those types of clients, but Alex and Richard and I find them to be, we find that kind of work the most stimulating. And maybe yeah. it's like a doctor who has a, a very sick patient um, that, you know, feel the feeling that they get when they're able to cure a, a, a patient of cancer. Um, that's the feeling that we get when we're able to do something that's transformative. Working with like a, a beautiful, blandy uh, millennial brand that, you know, already has their thing going on. Um, I don't know. I don't find that fun at all. Yeah, I suppose the impact that you can make is 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 always going to be uh, stunted because they know what they're doing, right? Um, I yeah, we, we've yeah. we've we've been pretty good at keeping away from COVID in this discussion, <laughs> and I, I'm very keen to 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 not make the, particularly this series about agencies about COVID, but it, it's an unavoidable concept i think in our world right now in fact i was talking about it with uh, my partner kate this morning and like it and this is not to uh you know our, our grandparents and great-grandparents who went through kind of wartime but it has got to be the closest thing that any generation has faced on a global scale compared to you know those instances yeah. and those periods in history so it is this thing that we are just in and it's very very odd so i don't want to dwell on it too much but i do want to just touch on it ever so slightly and i'm going to phrase it in a way that hopefully means we don't dwell. but i'm really keen to understand how like you guys and the team like how have you adapted to the last six months like what's going on oh yeah it's been so hard um you know I think a lot of a lot of people are kind of sugarcoating it, and LinkedIn is one of those things that oh my god, I, I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> I totally I, hear you. I totally not, hear you. Yeah. I'm not a big social media user, which I know is going to sound crazy because we have this like creative agency and um, it, we create content for Instagram like constantly for you know for our clients. But um, as a person, I don't think it makes me feel good. I don't think that it sets realistic expectations for others. Um, I know that it's something, you know, it's something that does go along with the job. You do need to, you know, be able to project what's happening within your company, just so people know you're still alive and you're still there. But I think that there's always like a lot of um, that kind of like, uh, what do they call it? Fault, not false modesty, but like the, the kind of bragging, um, the humble brag. Sorry, that's what I was trying to say. The kind of Gary Vaynerchuk humble brag. Um, so in any case, I know I'm kind of rambled there, but I, I have to admit that the pandemic has been really, really hard for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, and I think more people need to say more leaders at least need to come out and just be yep. honest yep. as a mother i have two kids um 12 well one just turned 12 and one's um six and from march to july i i, I have to say that it was just one of the worst periods of my life and this is an I, I went through breast cancer five years ago and, you know, did the whole chemo and radiation mm. and all of that. Mm. And I have to say that this was in many, many ways more difficult, mostly because of this just big question mark that yep. I woke up with every day. I felt like I was just walking around with this big question mark over my head and I couldn't make a decision. I didn't know what, what's going on with our office. Do we Yep. keep our office? Do we have clients? What should we be doing for our clients? Should we be helping them, you know, tune their, um, 
their messaging. What is what should the messaging be? Does anyone <laughs> want to buy fashion right now? Does anyone yeah. buy beauty? Where why would anyone want a beauty product right now? And um on top of that, just having the kids home every I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of us who had, you know, kids home during the pandemic who yep. experienced it completely differently. While some people were like, oh, I was able to catch up on my reading and I, you know, was able to kind of redesign my website and do this and that. For me, it was a complete opposite. I wasn't able to do anything. It was really, really hard, especially being in a New York City apartment. Yep. It's not like, you know, you have like a, a backyard to <laughs> put Escape the kid to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Go, go outside and play for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a boy, a six-year-old boy is, I would say, like at the worst age for going. Uh, <laughs> They're not pandemic-proof, <laughs> six-year-old boys. It, well, it's a nightmare. And then on top of that, my husband and I have the business together. So it's like every day is like, we're sort of angry at each other. Cause I know I have this meeting at 10, but I have this, you know, this review at 10 30. Oh, but, but Desmond has his morning meeting at 10 45. Like it was just a juggling and sounds so simple now when I say it, but it would just, you always feel like you're not um, doing good well enough. And I feel, I felt like I was failing at everything. And then on top of that, I just felt like our team didn't necessarily experience it the same way as we, we were, because mm. really, I think it was only one of our employees that actually has kids. So, um, she definitely was experiencing it the same way, yep. but, um, I think a lot of people just didn't know why we weren't sort of reacting quick enough like especially when the whole um, black lives matter protest started happening especially here in new york our team what we found out later was really expecting us to um do more and have more statements as an agency and acknowledge it more and to be honest i was just barely trying to keep my head above water yeah 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 for the ppp loan and and, you know, have like some large projects get canceled. And there were so many other things that we were dealing with. And then adding sort of this sort of social um, change that was happening in New York. It was, it was just a lot. And I think some people really are thriving during this. But I think um, for us, it was definitely particularly hard. I would say now that we have like a groove going and we have a better idea for how long this thing is going to last. Yep. And things are a lot better. And, you know, we have a, a, a sitter helping our son <laughs> with um, homeschooling. They're in a groove, you know, they go into school a couple of days a week. Um, you know, we're into a, a groove with the way we're working with our team doing, you know, we've really produced a lot of great work over this period. But I would say it was just like a lot of question marks, not really knowing the right way to, to respond. Yeah, I totally hear that. I think we, we as humans, we're, we're habitual, right? And as soon as we get that habitual nature just ripped out of our lives, we're, we're kind of, yeah, walking around like zombies with this question mark on our heads. And it's so, I, I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of um, probably bravado around it on a, on a so, from a social media perspective. I'm too not a great social media user, but certainly on the professional front and on LinkedIn, there was a lot, I suppose people needed to maybe to some degree, like put on a front that everything's great. And, but the realities yeah. of it and the, the mental, I think uh, health component and the sort of after a shock and, you know, what it's going to be like forever, I think is, is, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to not, I don't think, I think I, I like the way that you've kind of phrased it. It was like acknowledge it. Don't like necessarily you, you go get dragged, but you just have to acknowledge it. It's a thing. Like let's let's talk about it, and then yeah, ideally some semblance of normalcy returns, which it sounds like it has, and you can get back into the groove. I think that's a great way of referring to it because it is a groove. You know, like it's a different groove, but it's a groove now, and we can we're in the groove now. And we can see where things are going, and you know, you can start to build up that that level of normalcy exactly. again. You know, and having an agency is already like being on a permanent roller coaster. <laughs> so you know, anyone in the agency business knows, and I, you know, I've always joked with people that it's like a certain type of crazy person is drawn to working. In agency. <laughs> like you wouldn't wish this life on people, like the ups and downs. It's literally the, the ups, the peaks are so incredibly high and the downs are just like 
really, really crushing. Um, and that's why we, I mean, I, I realized after 20 years, I must really love it. Cause why would I keep doing it? A lot of people have, you know, that don't love it, go into a different, um, yeah. industry. they'll go work at a brand, like working at a brand is not like this, or they'll work at a large agency where it's a little more stable, yep. but having a small agency, it's just the nature of it. You're like constantly on a roller coaster and I can deal with that because I've been doing it for 20 years. I always know when that, when I'm down, that there's going to be, it's, I'm going to start taking up again. The problem with, with COVID is that you never really knew if you were going to tick up, like it was the mm -hmm. first time. And listen, yeah. we've been through nine 11 here and, and yeah. the last recession, we barely even noticed um, the, the last recession. Uh, to be honest, I, that was like when I had my first daughter and I didn't even notice that there was recession going on. Um, we did just fine. And yeah. I, so we've survived a lot of things, you know, survived um, getting sick. We've had a lot of, you know, things as the three of us as founders, you know, we have a lot of things in our personal lives that we go through and it's really hard because you still have a business to run and you're so small that there's no one to kind of take the reins for you. So you kind of have to keep going yeah. no matter what's going on. Yeah. But the pandemic there, it, it's been such a just big question mark about when, it's going to be over when yeah when's that. the bottom right where where yeah. was the bottom yeah that's the difficulty exactly. yeah. i mean I, in many ways i don't know if we've hit it yet um but then some people are saying oh no we're on the way up it's just mess the messaging everywhere is so all over the place do you know what i mean like in some places everyone's starting to get back to the office here no one none of my team <laughs> come into the office my office is empty every day. So it's kind of like you get a lot of mixed messages all over the place. And it's really hard to know which one is, is truth, you know, it becomes that whole like fake news, um, which of course we don't need to go that, into. That's another podcast. <laughs> but it is sort of like, which is the reality? I don't know what's real sometimes. And I just have to know what's real for us, for, for me. And that's why staying off of social media um, usually makes me a lot happier. Yeah, I think that that's, that's sage advice. Um, I'm I'm keen to draw it to a bit of a close, and, and I and I have one final, very important question. And Lisa, this is this has been my most fun question I've ever constructed in my entire life, and and I'm oh, I'm, so I'm so excited to tell ask you the question. Okay, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna set the scene here. Now I'm giving okay. you I'm giving you some agency to to make some choices. Uh, so, uh, we're in New York. It's somewhere in between 1978 and 1982. We're in CBGBs okay. and Sweden okay. are on the bill. All right. And okay. you can, yeah. okay. I, I, you can either have three or two support acts. I don't really mind, but who are they? And they can be alive or dead. So they don't have to be like in around 1978 to 1982 but that's where you know that's the height of cbgb so the crowd is pumping it's going nuts sweden ah, on the bill and you've got two support acts that you're bringing with you uh for your for your uh north american tour and you're in new york for this one night who are they okay well first of all i will tell you that sweden did play cbgbs yes. i'm very happy to say wow that's more close so um i'm so happy we were able to do that um and now I think it's like a a, a John Var Varvatos or whatever. Something that like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I think is also close. In any case, um, so we did play CBGBs. If you don't mind, I'm going to nudge the date to 1985. Please do. Um, Please do. that to me and, and my sister Alex is the most important year for us as um, music lovers. That was a year that we were 15 and oops, I just gave away my age. But um, when we were 15 is when we discovered music and um, sort of discovered it as a way to, you know, be, um, we were shy and broody and unpopular at school. And we kind of found music as a way to kind of cling to something and you know we started wearing all black and and just music was our lives after 1985 so i have to put it at that year and it would be new order um if it was earlier maybe it would have been joy division but since yep. it's 85 it will have to be new order yep. it has to be the smiths because yep. we saw the play in 85 or yep. maybe it was 86 for the queen is dead tour 
and the Jesus and Mary Chain. So those are my three bands from growing up that, I mean, if you listen to any Sweden, you'll see why. Maybe not so much with Smiths. We can't, no one can come near the Smiths, but New Order and the Jesus and Mary Chain were like the two probably most important bands. Um, there you go. To inspire us into having a band much. <laughs> so I, that's, I, I, that, that's amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I, I was going to give you my suggestions as well. So we've already got one similar. So I was going to suggest oh, new. He... I was going to suggest new order. I was going to give you though okay. new order 1981. So there's fantastic YouTube oh. footage of new order playing their first gig after, well, their first new order gig after joy division. So Ian had passed yeah. away. They went to New York and they played their first gig and um yeah they're, they're all scared shitless they don't know what they're doing it's amazing it's such a fantastic footage and then i was going to throw a bit yeah. of a curveball in there i was going to give you bad brains from 1982 cbgb's ah! concert <laughs> seminal hardcore punk yeah. just to mix it up oh my god amazing so they actually played there in 82 they did and the, the youtube footage again i spent a lot of time watching these bands on youtube the youtube footage of the bad brains gig 1982 at cbgb's is that I don't know what other, I think like, I don't know, you know, proper music nerds are going to hate me when I say this. I think it was like <laughs> Cro-Mags and other, like other seminal hardcore New York bands are at uh, that gig and that's where they formed, you know, that kind of story. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, hopefully if, you know, if we're back in this 1985 CBs show, um, just make sure you go to the bathroom before you get there because the bathroom is nasty. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. This was the uh, most fun podcast I've done thus far. Oh my God, that's so nice, Tim. I absolutely loved it. And I feel like we could have talked for three more hours. So we'll definitely have to um, continue um, sometime over coffee. When absolutely. All right, I'll see you next time. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. Bye, everybody. There you have it. A massive thank you to Lisa for being on the show. I'd highly recommend you go and check out Sweden Unlimited at SwedenUnlimited.com. They have some amazing case studies. One of my favorites is a bit of an oldie but a goodie, and that's the work they did with Nowness. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at klaviyo.com slash your basket is empty. And yeah, if you like this series and generally the podcast, like it, subscribe it, download it, tell your best friend to do exactly the same. I will see you next time. Taking notes because I don't like being ignored.